Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is couching at the door. Its desire is for you but you must master it. Cain said to Abel, his brother, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my roommate's keeper? Is that what it says? Doesn't it say roommates? ASB, Yasbury Standard Bible? So uh, what I want to speak to you this morning is on the subject, Am I my roommate's keeper? And let me say in advance that I'm going to go in a little bit different direction than David went. I want us to think about that this morning, and I want all of you to think about that. Within the family of brothers and sisters, are you your brother's keeper? You will notice that Cain begins this little conversation with God by telling a flat-out honest-to-goodness, old-fashioned, bald, kosher lie. Where is your brother? I don't know where he is. And then he follows that lie with what one of the philosophers here would call a non-sequitur. That's not some kind of disease of the bladder or something like that. Am I my brother's keeper? And against most commentators whom I have read on this passage, I would like to go in a different direction and say that this morning I agree with Cain. I, agree, I think he was telling the truth.
He was not meant ever to be his brother's keeper. And within the family of brothers and sisters at Asbury, I don't believe that any one of you are called by God to be your roommate's keeper or your RA's keeper. And I'm going to try and build a case for that and then follow that up with, well, if you're not to be your brother's keeper, what are you to be to your brother? Now, I have gone through every place the word keep is found in the Old Testament and in the New. I limited myself for this study to the Old Testament. And I counted, this word occurs in the Bible 450 times. If you want to see my list, I'll be happy to share it with you. I should say in advance it's written in Hebrew. That might limit its usefulness to some of you. Never once in these 450 times does God tell me that he expects me to keep somebody else. It is never an expectation of those who are in covenant relationship with God. God tells me to do a lot of things in relationship to you, but not one time does he ever say to me that my obligation to you is to keep you. By contrast, by contrast, umpteen times, the one who keeps us in the Bible is God himself. I could find no place where man is the keeper of man, but I found many times where God is described as your keeper. We're going to do a lot of leaping around this morning, but let me just bring your attention as an illustration to one of my favorite psalms, the 121st Psalm. I will lift up mine eyes onto the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now listen to this. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. I am not your keeper. God Almighty is your keeper. 
or I think, and I simply give you a couple out of many, many illustrations that I give. How many times have you heard, been in a worship service, where the choir has ended with this prayer that goes like this? How many of you have heard that? How many of you would like me to sing it? Put your hand down, Phil. Well, I'll sing it anyway. No, I shan't. But it begins this way. The Lord bless you and... What's next? Much too weak. The Lord bless you and keep you. And what's next? Choir? Lord make his face to shine upon you. I just wanted to test them out. Well, occasionally I get into the New Testament. Well, Jacob Epstein up here. And I start to think, does this pattern continue into the New Testament as well? Or is there a shift? Do all of a sudden I become my brother's keeper? Or does the pattern persist? And I turned as an illustration to to our Lord's prayer recorded for us in John chapter 17. Let me read a few words for you. Jesus talking to the Father, And now I am no more in the world, but they are in the world. Holy Father, keep them in thy name. While I was with them, I kept them in thy name. I do not pray that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil one. I have kept them, and now, Father, you keep them from the evil one. And I would like the juniors over for me here on this side to recite the great prayer of benediction with which Jude ends his prayer. Dr. Thacker, start us on the first word. Now unto him. No, 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 all together now. Now unto him. All right, some don't know where Jude is. Let's, let's try the sophomores. Now, unto him that is able, stop. Now, unto him that is able to keep you. He's my keeper. Am I my brother's keeper? No. God is your keeper. Are you your roommate's keeper? No. God is your roommate's keeper. Now, there are times in the Old Testament where man is the subject of keeping. Look back at chapter 4. 
And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a, a what? Seniors? Excuse me, George? A little louder, George. What was he? A keeper of sheep. Isn't that what it says? Sheep need keepers. You keep livestock. Sheep have keepers. Zoos have keepers. I say? Pardon me? The dormitory. Okay. All right. I'll just write that in the margin. Bees have keepers. Prisons have keepers. Because, you see, the basic idea behind keeping is controlling. To keep means to exercise authority over. Do you see why the Bible is so accurate, students, when it says that God is our keeper? That means he not only preserves me, but he exercises his sovereign authority over me. And God has not called one of you to exercise sovereign control over someone else. Let's face it. We may be good faculty. We may be good students. We may be good staff members. We may be good administrators, but a whole bunch of us make lousy gods. So when Cain turns to Abel, or rather to God, and says, Am I my brother's keeper? He is really saying to him, Am I my brother's custodian? Am I my brother's guard? Am I my brother's warden? No, you're not called to be your brother's keeper. You're called to be your brother's brother. And the difference between the two is simply this. If you are your brother's keeper, you stand above your brother. And if you are your brother's keeper, you stand, and if you are your brother's brother, you stand beside your brother. Now, if we are not called to be our brother's keeper, what are we called to be? What should be my relationship to you, my brothers and sisters? I've picked out, and I have about a a minute for each one, I have picked out seven brother texts from the New Testament that tell me one aspect 
of what am I to be to my Asbarian brothers, my faculty, my students, my administrators, my fellow staff workers? What am I to be to you? I've listed these in order. They're not exhaustive. The list is simply suggestive. We'll take them in the order as they occur in the canon of the New Testament. The first is Matthew chapter 5. That's the first brother text. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said of men of old, you shall not kill, and whoever kills shall be liable to the judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother... Sounds like Genesis 4, doesn't it? Or maybe our own campus. Everyone who is angry with his own brother shall be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council. And whoever says to his brother, you nitwit, Hamilton's translation, he shall be liable to Ooh. So, so, hey, we haven't got to the juicy part yet. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother, your brother has something against you. And again, I give an Asbury translation of the next verse. Before you come to your next chapel, go first and be reconciled to your brother I'm not called to be your keeper but if I have done something to hurt you I am called to take the initiative to be reconciled to you my brother I'm not your keeper but I want to be reconciled with you, my brother and my sister. The second brother passage is Matthew chapter 18. Here the shoe is on the other foot. You've not done something to your brother. Your brother has done something to you. If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Peter picks up on that in verse 21 and says, Well, Lord, let me give you a specific illustration. How oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? I mean, how many times are you obligated to forgive your roommate? And Peter was a Jew. And we know in Jewish tradition of his day, his tradition taught him most anybody will forgive another person one time. Even heretics will do that. If you're a little bit above the average, you will forgive your brother Two times. That Jewish tradition goes on to say, but if you're a follower of Jehovah, 
If you are really a follower of God's laws and loving God, you will forgive your brother as many as three times. So Peter plays double or nothing with Jesus. And he says, seven times, Lord? And the Lord says, man, you're not even out of the batter's box yet. How how many times do you have to forgive your brother? As many times as he needs forgiveness. I'm not called to be your keeper, but I'm called to be reconciled with you, my brother. I'm not called to be your keeper, but I'm called to a place of forgiveness with you. The third passage I have, I I must go very, very quickly here. Uh, Exceedingly difficult for me to do. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 40. This is our third brother text. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought his brother to Jesus. I'm not called to be your keeper. But if you don't know Jesus, one of my callings is to introduce you to him. Not a keeper, but an introducer. Now, here's my fourth brother text, or is it, what are we on? What, what are we on? Fourth? Okay, number four. Luke chapter 15. I kind of went out of order there. I think Luke's before John. Luke chapter 15. And this is interesting, because Jesus here tells a story in which there were two brothers. Reminds you of the Genesis 4, and the two brothers didn't always get along with each other, did they? And the father says to the son in verse 31, and he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and to be glad, for this your brother, your brother was dead. And he's alive. He was lost. And he is found. And if in our recent revival you have found Christ, you have entered into an experience of the fullness of the sanctifying and Christ-glorifying Spirit, then I am not called to be your keeper but I am called to be your co-rejoicer. That's my ministry to you and yours to me. I rejoice with you that you, my brother, were lost and now you've been found. 
Not your keeper, but your co-rejoicer. Number whatever the next is. Acts chapter 9. This is the conversion of Saul as he is going towards Damascus. And I want to read from you for you from chapter 9, verse 12, verse 13. The Lord is sending Ananias to, to Paul. And in verse 13, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon thy name. But the Lord said to him, quiet. Hush up with all that nonsense. Don't worry about him. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. Now, notice this, will you, class? Not class, students. Verse 17. So, here it is, don't miss it. So, Ananias departed and entered the house and laying on his hands on this man of whom he was dead afraid, he said, uh, Brother Saul. Now, I remember as a kid how my dad used to lay hands on me. <laughs> when impact was made, there was no doubt about it. Have you ever gone up and tried pat a stray dog? I mean, uh, you can play somersaults with Baron. You don't have any problem with him unless you're a squirrel. <laughs> but you go up so gingerly, don't you? You, you go up so tentatively, and, you know. And I can see Ananias. <laughs> Is the right hand, Lord? I'm not called to be your keeper, but I'm called to be your friend. I'm called to be your supporter. To place my hands upon your head and say, my brother, my sister, welcome to the team. Four minutes. This, this is going to be quick. Next one. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. I hope I've got these all correct. I'll be embarrassed if I don't. And when you know it, this is the first one I've got incorrect. Where's that passage about not eating something that uh, offends your brother? Ed, you're a Bible major. Where is it? Well, stop blushing and tell me where it is. <laughs> Who can tell me where that is? First Corinthians 8. Thank you. It takes a math major. Oh, 
Listen, 1 Corinthians 8, not Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 13. Therefore, it's in this passage about what you should eat over at the dining hall. Therefore, but it is, therefore, if food is a cause of my brother's falling, I will never eat meat lest I cause my brother to fall. I'm not called to be your keeper, but I'm called to be sensitive to you. I'm not called to run roughshod over you. But I'm called, as you, my brother or sister, to do nothing that runs against the grain of things in your life that are very precious to you. The last two, James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Verse 14, what does it profit, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but has not works? Can his faith save him? If Listen to this now. If a brother or a sister is ill-clad and in lack of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, that is, kind of put them on your prayer list, without giving them the things needed for the body, what does it profit? So faith by itself, if it has not worked, is dead. If you see your brother, say, well, I'll pray about you. Too bad it happened to you. See you next chapel. James says, man, you've got a faith that is sterile. Now the last one. First John chapter 2, verse 10. This is my last point, and I'm going to finish. He who keeps his brother abides in the light. Now, those of you who are following that, raise your hand if I read that passage correctly. Raise your hand if I misread the passage. It does not say he who keeps his brother abides in the light, but he who loves his brother. I'm not called to be my brother's keeper. I'm called to be my brother's lover. And we have a lot of people running around our campus trying to be each other's keepers. We're going to get a lot of people trying to control and regulate and bounce around and push, and that's not how you produce healthy community. I'm my brother's lover. I want to challenge you to make that your standard for this year so that God could produce among us a community that will glorify his name.